Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Five, four, three, two, one. Right about now. He's no Jane Carroll, but he still knows his stuff. Please listen carefully. Here's guest host Aaron Stevens on the Jane Carroll Show. Welcome. On the Jane Carroll Show. As the intro said, I'm Aaron Stevens. I'm guest hosting for Jane tonight. Um, I missed you guys for the conservative council, but we're going to get you all caught up to speed. Many of you know who I am. Oftentimes, Jane lets me uh, sit in for her, and this is one of those times, and I do appreciate it much, Jane. And uh, we have a lot of fun. Those of you who know me, we it's kind of a fast-paced show. We like to have a little bit of fun. We've got plenty of special guests uh, coming on the show here in just a little bit. Uh, we hit the news, you know, fast and furious. Uh, we do a lot of different things. Um, sometimes we go in depth uh, with some concepts. Other times we just splatter it. And then sometimes we even do some predictions and get kind of ahead of the curve. I always like how sometimes we'll do interviews on this show and then I'll see that same person interview a week or two weeks later somewhere else. Uh, or we're covering news stories that are uh, that are pretty, pretty fresh. And uh, um, it's a lot of fun. And uh, the most fun is I get to uh, do the show with you. I'm, I'm coming out of the Pacific Northwest. So um, I kind of look at it as I'm uh, about 500 miles behind enemy lines. Um, my family's from here. I, I, I dig in quite a bit, feeling like I can still, you know, you know, save this part of the country. I don't know if that's possible or not, but this is where my roots are. And, uh, you know, it is what it is. And this is where I'm at. But uh, let's let's go into that a little bit. The uh, the uh, former vice president, um, you know, uh, <laughs> He decided to come to Oregon and he came to Portland and he has his typical gaffes and he says ridiculous things. So, you know, President Biden, I like to call him the former vice president because it's difficult for me to call him president, um, you know, came out today uh, to the Pacific Northwest. And he says things like that he uh, wrote the infrastructure bill. No, he didn't. Um, he hasn't been a senator for many years. He was uh of course, he's been, you know, in the presidency and then he was vacated the office. And then, of course, he was vice president. So I'm not sure why he thinks he wrote that, but but he didn't. And he goes on with many of his of his gaffes. So it's typical, typical Biden. But you won't see much of that, uh, you know, in the news. But we got to keep up with the fact that this is somebody who's incoherent. Um, it's finally getting, you know, a, a little bit more traction. You, you see it, of course, on, on Fox, maybe Newsmax and in a few other locations. Um, you'll you'll hear it here. But but this is somebody who's just not in control of their faculties. I'm actually surprised he he's actually able to stay awake long enough to even come to the Pacific Northwest. But um, but all right. So we're going to have a few other stories. Fast and furious here. Uh, Pierce Morgan. OK, so he, uh, he has a, a new show on Fox Nation, and so they put out a promo. I understand the marketing. I understand getting people to, to pay attention. But his 30-second uh, Twitter clip um, was seemingly deceptive. It showed his interview with, with President Trump as President Trump storming off. It shows things like telling him to turn off the camera. And, of course, they're trying to excite people. 
to uh, watch the show. Uh, Pierce Morgan has had some pretty negative things to say about President Trump for a long time. President Trump feels like he, he helped Pierce Morgan. He, he gave him uh, you know uh, a spot on his show. He, he became the celebrity apprentice on, on his uh, programming that was on NBC. Pierce Morgan has had ups and downs um, in the industry for, for some time. I, I think that Pierce Morgan is, is genuinely talented. I probably disagree with him on about uh, 50 50 he's super opinionated he's very he's fast um he's intelligent however when he's wrong you know he, he's wrong and uh so of course he's you know in this interview that was supposed to be about 20 minutes long uh, went on for about 75 minutes president trump was very gracious with his time but uh president trump was was a bit um you know wanting to know why pierce morgan would go after him before the interview uh, donald trump was made aware of it dozens likely uh, statements that Pierce Morgan had that were negative about Donald Trump, up to including he should be impeached right away, that he should um, never be able to run for office. Well, that's interesting when you're not an American and you don't have a voice in that. But um, but he's he's entitled to his opinion, you know, and he's a prominent you know caricature on on the news. People people are aware of him and. In Canada and Australia, certainly the United Kingdom, you know, and he's had you know, plenty of jobs on CNN. I think he was on Crossfire and he's, he's now on Fox. So people know who Pierce Morgan is. I think he was on a uh, another reality TV show, um, one of those um, uh, where they judge uh, maybe singers or something like that. I think he was on. But anyway, uh, uh, turns out the audio was taken by the Trump team and it shows that Trump didn't storm off, that there is deception in this advertising. So it's going to be interesting on Monday, this show is going to air. Pierce Morgan has made some statements. Um, the New York times um, basically covered what Pierce Morgan had said on his own Twitter, where he's trying to backpedal a little bit. And I think smartly because Donald Trump is like, look, you guys are fake media, you're fake news. You're going to try to deceptively edit the, the interview. So his team had better be in the edit room refixing because if this thing is not correct then um then there you go i mean that's 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 pretty this is bad business for fox especially fox nation a lot i mean fox nation is who does the patriot awards and these um you know sorts of events so i mean they've got a very good niche and a lot of those people that that not only listen to fox but particularly fox nation are trump supporters and so this is not going to go over very well so i'm not sure what he was thinking that's fine. Donald Trump's a big boy. You can argue with him. You can you can say, look, you know, we disagree. And and the their primary dis- disagreement is the election results. And of course, Pierce Morgan comes out and says, well, there's there's absolutely no evidence. And Donald Trump says to him, well, you know, you're a fool then. Yeah, you know. And so, okay, so even if you're not delving in, which we do on this show. What happened in Arizona and, of course, Pennsylvania and Wisconsin, where not only, excuse me, not only is there evidence, but there's mountains of evidence, hundreds of thousands of fraud. I mean, people have gone to jail. Um, There's a new movie coming out called The 2000 Mules um, for good reason. There's video, countless video. But let's let's pretend you're not into any of that. It's something I mean, I want to say it's 19 out of 20 or 20 out of 21 of the bellwether um, places in America that decide elections, Donald Trump won all of them, you know, like in our 19 out of 20. 
that that there's no way that an election go. I mean, there's there's statisticians that are saying this thing is like a quadrillion to one for the things to happen the way they did simultaneously all at the same time at three o'clock in the morning in just these particular counties and just these particular states, these weird anomalies where all of a sudden all the computers freeze up in only these particular places. And I mean, the list goes on and on and on. So to even to say you're at a minimum, you should say, well, I'm not convinced from the evidence. You can't say that there's no evidence. You can say, well, I'm still not entirely sure. Or why are you so convinced? Have Donald Trump explain it. Let Donald Trump loves to talk. Let him talk. You know, but to say there is no evidence and to call you know Donald Trump, you know, you're assuming he's what crazy. There's plenty of evidence of this event. So, um, yeah. So that that's that. And, and so we'll see on Monday how this goes over. This this could actually be kind of a big deal. Um, I got, I'm suspect that Pierce Morgan is going to smartly pull back a little bit. He's allowed back on English television. Of course, he got in a fight because he was defending the Royals against Meghan Markle. And you're not supposed to do that because that makes you racist, apparently, to suggest that Meghan Markle is a liar, um, which I think she is. And I think Pierce Morgan was right in that particular situation and argument. He's, he's getting his place back in television. You've been doing it you just started back in. Why are you stepping on yourself this way? It's just, it's, it's foolish. I mean, you think you wanted to come in strong? I mean, what stronger way than, than to interview Donald Trump? Not for 20 minutes, but for 75 minutes. He covered all kinds of things. Ukraine, Biden, you get to talk about Putin, and yet you, you step on yourself. That's just, that's just, uh, that's just ridiculous. All right, switching gears a little bit. Uh, we got the, uh, Governor of Florida going directly against um, our friends there at Disney. Um, friends use tongue in cheek. I've been a, I've, I love Disney movies. I've got daughters and, uh, you know, love what they do. And in the um, House and Senate, uh, I think it's passed the Senate. I think the House is looking at it. And of course, the governor will sign it that uh, there's been some special provisions for over 50 years uh, allowing a special tax district to this, you know, woke Disney corporation. And so um, the uh, governor of Colorado has said, no, you should come to Colorado and build a, a mountain Disneyland. Um, good luck with that. I don't think anybody's going to go to Colorado. The good thing about Florida is the weather and that a lot of people want to go there. Not to mention, you don't just wake up one day and put thousands and thousands of acres of uh, put together. So this is not an attack by Florida against Disney. This is them rescinding all kinds of special um, considerations given to Disney. So this, this isn't, I mean, of course this hurts Disney, but that's, and, and, that, and that's meant to do it. However, this isn't like Florida is inventing some sort of a new tax or a law. This actually makes it them equivalent to everybody else. And I thought that's what, you know, a lot of the, the left wanted, you know, you, you see them come out against, all sorts of corporations were told, you know, you know, that my goodness, these, these corporations are controlling everybody. They're, they're evil. Of course. Um, why shouldn't a government entity ask a corporation to pay their fair share of taxes? I thought that's what the left wanted, but that's, that's, that's not what they're for there in Florida. And I wonder why, Oh, it's because of all of their woke policies the political agenda. When you're a company like Disney and you decide to get involved in politics and then you wonder why politics come and bite you, 
you know, I mean, I, to, to the Disney stockholders, you know, good luck. You just lost a bunch of money and you're going to continue to lose money. And if you decide you want to leave Florida and go to Colorado, which I doubt is even going to happen. Um, okay. For, for Disney to do that. I mean, I, I don't know, billions of dollars. I mean, it would be billions of dollars for them to construct a new Disneyland and to shut down that. And you know what? Somebody else would move in for pennies on the dollar, and it wouldn't be Disneyland. It would be whatever, you know, Florida land. And somebody else would just run the theme park there in Florida land. And and, and that's fine. Not a lot of kids relate to Mickey Mouse anyway. Um, you know, I mean, there's a lot of the other Disney Disney shows. And um, many people just aren't – they're not going to subscribe to it. This this Marvel Universe, they're, they're ruining that. The list goes on and on. Um, you know, Disney's going to have to figure it out, and it's this is a very, very sad uh, moment that that we're, we're going through right now, where we where we see a a storied American company just just being absolutely ridiculous um, the way that it is. Um, let's see, you know, Johnny Depp. That's um, I don't know if anybody's been watching that. Uh, a little interesting. I'm going to keep my eye on that story. We'll have some some updates on on Johnny Depp and, and his situation with his girlfriend. Um, we got Elon Musk. Um, he's uh, potentially offering a, a tender offer for Twitter. Now, just in case you don't know what that is, is that he would offer a stock price and then just regular stockholders could sell their stock at that price. Um, he's offered up billions of dollars. And he's also um, using some loans and some some margin calls and different things like this to come up with the amount of money. Um, he technically has not done that, but it is, it is on the table. So you can see that, uh, <clears throat> Elon Musk is, he's quite serious about, um, about his, his Twitter and I, in deciding whether or not, um, you know, a lot of people think this is a joke. I, I don't think this is a joke. I think this is a really serious, um, move by him as well. Um, you know, Ukraine, it's, it's changing. Uh, Ukraine's changing uh, gears a little bit. Um, you know, um, you know, Zelensky has sent out some, some weird messages, almost like he's, I don't know, either he's super tired or under the influence. I know a lot of people are big fans of Zelensky. I've been watching this closely. I'm not sure about a lot of stuff. I do know that the United States is sending more money and more equipment, and we don't have a lot of accounting for it. The Russians lost a major warship there in Black Sea. And so this is uh, you know, big events. And, you know, Mariupol is virtually dust anymore. And, and Kiev got hit again. So we don't have uh, a lot of decisions with uh, with that right now. This is uh, Ukraine is not going away, I think, anytime soon. I, I think that they, they need to come together or there's just, there's just not even going to be really a country to fight over. But particularly um, the price of grain, um, Ukraine is the breadbasket. You know, over there, they send a lot of grain into the Middle East as well into Europe, and uh, many countries buy their grain. And um, you know, flour and grain is is a commodity that's that's traded worldwide, and this will affect all of us and all of our food prices. And with the, with those prices, of course, you know, it, it costs more money for for chickens, it costs more money for pork and beef and everything else. So um, I'm hoping to a quick end to what's going on over there, um, and just. You know, keeping the people safe is what I'm, I'm really worried about. But uh, joining the show now, um, we're going to have a, a, a guest joining the show. Um, hopefully he's on the line. Uh, uh, Corey uh, Koch, for, uh, he's running for District 38 in uh, Portland, Oregon. Are you on the line, Corey? Uh, yes, I am. Ah, hey there, Corey. Hey, uh, switch gears real quick. I want everybody to know who you are. We've got uh, Corey Koch. 
uh, in Portland, Oregon. He is running for District 38, uh, you know, state representative in the in the in the in Oregon. And this is a, a, a very difficult place for somebody um, to be able to run. Um, I wanted to highlight your particular district. I think it's, it's an important district, um, you know, in, in the heart of Portland. You're not too awful far from downtown Portland, a little bit out, um, you know, t- towards the suburbs. But the interesting thing about about your situation is there aren't a lot of people that are registered Republican. There's not a lot of people that are registered Democrat. Um, a lot of people are looking for an independent. My understanding is that you are running as an independent for this district. I wanted you to talk a little bit about what's going on in your district, the needs that it has, and why, um, well, first off, why everybody should vote for you. But not only that, um, what's been going on? Why how come nothing's getting done down there? We, there's a lot of, I mean, we got crime and all these things. Um, talk a little bit about, about yourself, some of your ideas for the district, um, as well as why, uh, certainly why, Demo- I mean, Republicans haven't had much of a chance in that district, but as well, Democrats have been there for a long time and haven't gotten anything done. Well, I'd like to say uh, thank you for having me today. Um, so, with um, my district, which is Portland, deals with downtown and stuff. There's a lot, lot of things that's um, happening, and it continues to progressively get worse. Um, it, except for today, because uh, Joe Biden came down, and they somehow ended up being able to clean up the streets the day before he was arriving. So um, that, I mean, that's great. Um, just. Too bad I had to wait till Joe Biden was showing up to clean up some of the area. But um, what we have that we're dealing with when it comes to um, District 38, um, we have a lot of crime that's very high. Um, the homicide rate is ridiculous. Um, as you know, that it jumped in 2020 up 400%. Um, and it went up last year, and now currently it is up um, 10% currently on its current track from last year. Um, and there's a lot of drugs and homeless that is not getting fixed. It's not getting resolved. It's actually being enabled, um, making everything worse um, from decriminalizing drugs um, to letting people sleep in people's backyards and anywhere else that is okay. You know, we have walk down the street, you'll see feces and all over the place and um, needles everywhere. And it's a problem that's not being addressed. And it's definitely not being addressed accordingly. Um, we have a lot of drug addiction issues. We have mental health issues. And we have no police to defend um, the people there. I mean, I would just did um, a speech at the Shiloh Inn for the non-affiliated voters, and um, I had a coworker that called 911 six months ago um, about a guy who was checking people's garage doors and their house doors to see if any were unlocked and continued house to house to house. And he followed him for 10 minutes. It took over 10 minutes before somebody picked up the phone on an emergency line. And by that time, somebody could have been shot. Somebody could have been raped. Somebody, I mean, who knows what could have happened. 
if one of those doors would have been unlocked. And it's a big problem. And the way that our uh, tax dollars are being used is in, incredibly inappropriate. And it's not helping anybody that's within my community or any other community that's the surrounding area. So the goal um, is that we have to we have to reverse these bad policies from recriminalizing heroin, uh, methamphetamine, cocaine use, and um, start bringing back the laws that we had, um, and so that people don't think that they can get away with anything and everything. So you know, the difficulty is you've got the Republican Party and the Democratic Party, you know, and, and a lot of them now, um, I'm, I'm a noted conservative. It's, it's, it's no um, surprise to anybody on this particular show. Um, however, there's many Republicans that are not conservative. Now, there used to be some cons- what they would consider conservative Democrats. They're basically non-existent anymore. So regardless of, of, of where you're at on the political spectrum, um, the, the idea that, you know, you're not affiliated or an independent, because of course, the Republicans and Democrats, you know, they, they, you know, they own it. You know, they own everything. But I've got a funny feeling in this state in Oregon um, that there's going to be a lot of people who are independent um, that are going to be running. The, the Oregon GOP, you know, I'm just going to be honest, um, and I've supported them a lot. I've raised a lot of money for them. I've worked a lot for the Oregon GOP. We interview them on this show, um, and, uh, and I like many members of the Oregon GOP. However, they, they have not done an exemplary job of getting great candidates in there. Um, I, I know a bit about you. Um, I, I think that you've, you've got, you know, a great platform. Um, I think you'd be a great representative for District 38. But how um, are you going to what are you going to be doing to kind of get over that 800 pound gorilla that is the Republican Party, that is the Democrat Party? Well, the one thing that I um seen today um, is that the non-affiliated um, voters is at 34% of the registered, while 24% of the registered are Republican. Um, and then I didn't see what the Democrat was, but non-affiliated um, voters have skyrocketed. And the difference is, is that you have one side who is very left that's um, mandate, 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 and Democrats are sick of it. Um, independents are sick of it and Republicans are sick of it. And then you got on the other side that um, is not doing very well either with their policies and procedures and having people in there that's not representing um, people of Oregon. So right now, um, I don't I don't have to do this, but. I'm choosing to do it because, I mean, it's just ridiculous here. And I want to be an individual that knows that's going to change it and make it a better place. And I think with the last couple years, it has boiled down to where a lot of people said, okay, I'm done. Like these have been really bad policies for a long time. And then COVID hit and all the bad policies with COVID made everything even worse. 
And a lot of voters are like, okay, I'm done. I'm not voting this way anymore. And with coming in as an independent um, for Democrats and Republican voters to have somebody else to look at that's um, not going to be on um, the right side or the left side, because when you look at it, how often is a Democrat going to vote Republican? Probably not very often, same vice versa. So being in the middle ground, it makes a huge opportunity to win that district and um, gives the people somebody that's actually going to represent them. Well, you know, um, um, I, I think I think you're kind of you're dead on. I think it's difficult sometimes in Oregon, um, you know, to, you know, sometimes we've had some people who've been seemingly middle of the road, but it, it's not because they're having difficulty with some Republicans and Democrats. It's because they change their viewpoints. Um, you know, so, of course, the, the people of Portland, you know, want to know, I mean, what about you and your core values? Are, are, are they changing? Are you like some other some other politicians that, that kind of maneuver around or, you know, tell us tell us um, in our in our final, um, you know, some time here a little bit about uh, about you and, and some of your your core values and, and why that's going to translate um, into the best candidate for District 38? Well, um, the, the biggest thing with the core values, um, you know, we have, we have a constitution that gives us our rights and things do not impede on those rights. And a lot of the things that has happened um, has been impeding on them. And we can't have that anymore. There's, um, a lot of school education problems that's leading to um, teaching children um, uh, sexual education at an extremely young age to um, removing the requirements to know how to do math, read and write. And um, we have many different other values of Oregon that the people are not representing. And it's really difficult because we haven't really had people stand up for those values. We have, you know, where we have defunding police. I'm not all about defunding police. We've seen how that works. We have to fund the police and we have to do um, improve the system of how they're trained and things like that, you know, have other um, non-lethal weaponry for long distance so that, you know, we have less fatalities and stuff like that when people are not cooperating and, and other things, you know, there's, there's a lot of methods that can be done that are being avoided and it's being more chaotic. So, um, it's really looking at it on a common sense perspective, um, where my core values stand with, with things and, um, majority of the policies are, not very good that Oregon currently has. And my values are reversing those and fixing it so Portland can be back to where it was, where it was the head place to go when it came to going on a vacation. Well, so. it, it used to be. And well, I, I want to commend you um, for your hard work and, and you know, put your name out there. And, you know, I wish more, more, Amer uh, more Americans and certainly more Oregonians, you know, weren't, weren't fearful of kind of putting themselves out there because, um, you know, you're going to take the barbs from both sides. And so, no, you're a, you're a true warrior. And I, and I, I appreciate what you're doing, um, you know, trying to get, you know, I mean, one piece of Portland at a time. 
you know, back together. We need, we need representation down in Salem. So, um, thank you a lot. And, um, so, um, I look, I look forward to, you know, having you on again. Um, and then we can, you know, I know we got some primary seasons and stuff like that, but upcoming, I'd, I'd like people to be able to find you, um, be able to, to donate to your cause and your situation. Um, I, I know you're just, you're just ramping up right now. And so, um, I know you'll, you'll end up having a website and stuff like that and hopefully be able to, to link to those things. But I, I would just want to make sure that, that people remember your name, Corey Cook, um, for district 38. And like I said, we'll have you on again. I want people to be able to find you, recognize your name, and, and certainly have that translate into to votes for your district. I'll, I'll give you the, the, the final minute to uh, let the people of, of, of Portland um, know anything else about you. Um, so um, to know a little bit more about me, I do have a website that I have brought up. Um, it is uh, Corey for State Rep. That's K-O-R-E-Y, letter four. Um, number four, why did I say letter? Um, Corey, number four, staterep.com. And um, I have quite a bit of uh, experience working in legal research and analysis. I've participated in um, volunteer, um, volunteering my time for police department and working security and things like that. I'm currently awaiting for my license to um, and be an investigator for Portland. So when it comes to figuring out, um, you know, law and the proper um, ways to take Portland, um, I'm already 10 steps ahead on doing so. And so, um, yeah, that's pretty much it. I don't, I don't know what else to share at the moment. (laughs) So, so uh, uh, Corey for, so it's Corey for state rep. Correct. Is that the site? Okay, great. All right. Well, thanks for joining the show. I do appreciate it. Thank you, Corey, and uh, best of luck to you, and I, and I hope you're able to win that District 38. Me as well. Thank you. All right. Thanks for joining the show there, Corey. All right. So, yeah, I like to I like to see people. He's, uh, you know, uh, full of spit and vinegar, uh, you know, full of fire, and, and that's what we need. We need more people who are willing. You know, as we've seen this in all the school districts and stuff, people are like, they've had it. They, you know, unfortunately, they want to take – it starts at the local level. Uh, the smaller, the better. I mean, I don't care if we're running for, for dog catcher or, or whatever it is, certainly school board, anything else. You just, you know, get, get actively involved in your community. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's beyond important. But all right, so we have another special guest joining the show right now. We got John D. Coons, author of They Call Me Ishmael. Um, are you on the line, John D.? I, I am, sir. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you for joining the show. Um, so you're you're the author of the book They Call Me Ishmael. Um, so I want you to tell people a little bit of, a little bit about your book for sure. Um, my understanding is. Um, um, you're very knowledgeable about China and Russia and kind of what's going on there. And of course, they're certainly in the news. Um, some would argue one is our biggest geopolitical foe versus the other. I'm, I'm in the, I'm in the China camp. Um, I believe that, that China is, is a much bigger um, threat to the United States. But I think what might even be a bigger threat is a lot of their trade that they do in between each other. I think there's big movements right now to try to take the dollar um, as the uh, you know reserve currency of the world. And I, and I think this, this, this alliance between them is important. I'm very interested in your knowledge because um, you, you're, you're very in-depth in this and, and you've spent a lot of time, re- a lot of time researching this. Um, uh, let us know a little bit about yourself and then uh, enlighten us uh, to some of the work you've been working on there. 
Sure. Um, uh, I've uh, lived in China for the past uh, 20 or 30 years, but now I live on an island in the South Pacific called Bougainville, and we are on the front line of what I call China creep. Uh, I know China very, very well, and that's really uh, stood me in good stead here because China is trying to take over lots of island countries in the South Pacific, uh, just like Japan did in the 1930s. And we're right here on the front line. Uh, China has tried to take over Bougainville. They haven't succeeded. They, they are in, entering into agreements now right across the water from us in the Solomon Islands. Some of your audience have probably uh, learned about that. But the book, They Call Me Ishmael, is about all of that. It's, it's about war, gold, and China creep. Uh, everything in the book, it's, it's, it's a novel, of course, but everything in the book uh, is based on true events. And what's going on here is a man named Ishmael Torarama, who uh, led Bougainville in a civil war with Papua New Guinea called the Crisis back in the 1980s and 90s, is now the president of the country while China is trying to take it over and all of the nations around it. So that's what the book is about, and that's what I'm doing here. I'm calling you now from Bougainville as we speak. Wow. Well, we've got a you know halfway across the world. We've got you sound great. Um, you know, it's been a, a very big worry of mine. You know, going back many many years, where where China was taking over some of these islands. You know, there um, in that region, and then and many of them they were you know they were uh, you know atolls or whatever. They started you know pumping in sand, turning them into air bases. Many of them are are heavily heavily militarized now, and this is trillions of dollars of trade go through that region. Um, it might be the the highly the most valuable trafficked area you know on earth potentially and you know of course they were promised no 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 we're not doing any of these sorts of things and of course they did and they promised the the obama administration that they weren't doing such a thing they've never been held accountable for their lies my understanding is a world court looked at them and they said look these are not your islands these do not belong to you many of these islands have been claimed by um, Taiwan, which they don't recognize, Vietnam, um, Indonesia, some from Australia, certainly the, the Philippines and many other um, island nations that you refer to have, have different claims in this region. And of course, China um, is is being the 800-pound the gorilla and saying, nope, we're, we're claiming it all. And they're not just doing it um, you know, monetarily, they're doing it militarily. And they're using every strong arm tactic um, under the sun um, and and it's uh, it's a very big concern of mine because the UN hasn't got involved. I mean, the World Court, of course, you know, they were like, well, you know, you know, you guys are, you know, you're out of line or whatever. But, but there's no consequences to it. The United States, we occasionally move some ships through there, and I think Australia is too, saying, look, we have freedom to travel. But what do you do when you're, you know, in a small island nation like yours? It's, I mean, yeah, the United States can move through with an aircraft carrier, but, uh, but what are small island nations to do up against a force like that? I mean, it's it, this is crazy. Um, you know, everybody, you know, wants to be on the side of the little guy, you know, against the behemoth. But I don't see a big movement to stop a lot of, of their what they've been doing in, in the last 20, 25 years, it's been extraordinary. Like you said, it's just like what Japan was doing with a lot of the island hopping and, and taking over for and for the same reason, a lot, a lot of resources. It's a very valuable area. 
Look, uh, you're absolutely right. If, if you want to know what the ultimate ramifications are uh, uh, to the world, all you have to do is look at what's going on with Russia and the Ukraine right now. It's the same exact situation. You've got a megalomaniac who's intent on rebuilding an empire that he thinks was unfairly taken from him, and he's making waves. And meanwhile, on the other side, NATO, Europe, the U.S. and Europe, whatever, however you want to configure it, everybody places such a premium on tranquility and peace and prosperity that they don't understand that, that it comes with a price. You have to remain ready to defend yourself against guys like Putin in the East and Xi Jinping in the Asia Pacific region. Look, I've met Xi Jinping. I, I didn't meet him when he was uh, the uh, president. I met him when he was the governor of Fujian province and I was building hydro plants in Fujian province. And I can tell you what he said to me. He said, do you know who the leading uh, producer of GDP was in 1802? And I said, gee, let me guess. Are you gonna tell me China? Of course. And then he said, you know, I've been in Iowa and uh, Iowa's got nice farmland, but, but ours is better. In other words, this is a guy who's totally consumed by returning his empire to what he thinks it once was, which was the Middle Kingdom, the center of the world. And nothing is going to stand in his way. And the West, however you want to call it, the quads, the five eyes, all of us, who are democracies have to be aware that that's what these guys are thinking and they don't care what the obstacles or the costs are in terms of human life, let alone peace and tranquility. So, um, th that being the case, what, you know, I mean, uh, you, know, you know, what are your thoughts on, you know, some of their next moves? Are they just going to continue with what they are with this, um, this boat or Belt and Road initiative thing? Are they just going to, you know, Solomon Islands, one island at a time? Um, you know, are, you know, are they, do you think there might be military action? And so, because I, I, I want to say that sometimes, you know, the Philippines and Indonesia, they, they don't, you know, Malaysia, I mean, you know, they, they've got some, you know, they can't go up against their military per se, but, but they don't like getting pushed around either. Vietnam doesn't like getting pushed around. Where, where do you see this going here in the next few years? Well, I think uh, China's methodology is now becoming clear. Uh, they started with money. Uh, that's called the Belt and Road, okay? And whether it was Sri Lanka or Kiribati or uh, any place surrounding them, what they've done is with money, they've located weak regimes. They've bribed the key guys in charge and basically weakened the government so they can have their way with the government. Now they're moving to step two. And step two is to militarize those places. So uh, a year ago, they set up a huge docking and naval facility and in, in, in Vanuatu, okay? A huge dock and transport facility. Nobody had any idea what they were doing there. Well, now that's becoming clear because they've just signed a military agreement with the Solomon Islands to do what? To do exactly what Adolf Hitler said he wanted an agreement regarding the Ruhr to do back in the creep up to World War II, to protect Chinese citizens and business in the Solomon Islands. Come on. Okay, so, so that's step two. 
And he's going to start implementing that. Xi Jinping is going to start implementing that around the world now that they're spending the money and they have these guys where they want them. Yeah. You know, and that's the uh, that's the argument that uh, Putin used. You know, he's going to go go liberate all those Russians there in, in Ukraine. I mean, it just seems like that's the, uh, you know, yeah. the, you know, that's, that's what they liked might do in Taiwan. We're just we're here to, we're, you know, we're, we're killing all of you so we can save you, you know, and by taking over Taiwan. Do you um, I mean, that's the that's that's the big one. I mean, uh, Taiwan would be the, the whopper if they were able to get it. Um, do you think that they they might take some of these islands by these smaller islands by force as a message to Taiwan? Look, look, uh, Taiwan, there, there's no might in the question about Taiwan. They, they are going to, one way or the other, try to grab Taiwan. It's in Xi Jinping's DNA. He's not going to grow, go to his grave happy unless Taiwan is part of the mother country. You, you can take that to the bank. The real issue is... Uh, how do what do we do to deter him? Because he's not. I don't know Mr. Putin, uh, but I've had a lot of experience with Xi Jinping. He is uh, more studied. He's more patient. He will take his time, and in the meantime, he's doing all these other things. But at some point, I can assure you, they're going to grab Taiwan, and their plan is to make it impossibly expensive for the United States to thwart. Now, the only way around that is if it's just not the United States five years from now or eight years from now or whenever they get ready to pounce. If it's if it's the US and Australia and yeah, believe it or not, Vietnam and even India, let alone Japan and South Korea, who those guys have to jump off the fence and get in the pool with the rest of us. These guys can't be uh, they can't be assuaged no, nothing's going to prevent them from taking Taiwan. And of course, when they take Taiwan, there's a whole bunch of other ramifications. I'm not saying we should go to war over Taiwan. I'm just telling you, you can count on Xi Jinping trying to grab it when the grabbing is good. Well, you know, um, you would probably know better than me, um, having done a lot of the history and stuff. I mean, that island of Formosa in terms of like, you know, being, you know, who, who who the native people are from Taiwan. I mean, there's many years that that didn't belong to China at all. I mean, in, or, or Japan or others. I mean, that, that island has kind of changed hands for, for thousands of years. But but the Japanese certainly have a big um, interest. I know that they're spending a lot more money on their military. There's been some saber rattling from the Chinese saying that if Japan was to get involved at all in Taiwan, uh, China even you know said that they may nuke Japan. Um, but uh Japan is actually starting to build some of these um, these aircraft carriers, not like our aircraft carriers, but more like um, you know smaller ones, maybe ones designed for helicopters or even the new the new F thirty five, which can do a vertical takeoff. The point is, is that I think Japan is realizing that that they you know whether or not they're actually going to get into a conflict, they need to be prepared or at least um, have you know some some reasons why you wouldn't want to tangle with Japan. But uh, Taiwan is—I mean, that's a—that's that, right on Japan's doorstep. Uh, but the problem with, Japan, with Taiwan, as you know, it's I think 80 percent. I may be wrong on my number, but I'm—but I'm fairly close. Semiconductors are made in Taiwan. That is, I mean, for the whole world. I mean, you know, to run your car, to run, you know, whatever your washing machine. I mean, these things are made in Taiwan. Um, boy, uh, a, a Chinese takeover of Taiwan would be. Uh, 
well, I mean, even if it was a, of course, a conflict like in Ukraine where there's this massive destruction of those plants and stuff are destroyed, boy, this whole world is in a pickle. Well, look, like I said, in my opinion, you can count on it. Now, the other issue, though, is, uh, look, I, I, I've been to Taiwan a couple times. I, I lived in China for decades, as I told you. I don't have the same experience with Taiwan, but my friends in, uh, in, in security in places like the U.S. and Australia tell me that Taiwan is no Ukraine. I mean, I think we've all been surprised and, and very impressed with the level of dedication and fortitude that the Ukrainian people have showed the world. What I'm hearing is we don't necessarily think we should expect that from the Taiwanese. Okay. I don't know what they're going to do, but you know, the Taiwanese military is very underpaid. I don't know if you follow that. Uh, There's, there's a lot of issues as to what kind of a defense would they put up. And, and so (laughs) Those factories may not be destroyed. They're definitely not going to be Taiwanese property anymore. They're going to belong to the Chinese Communist Party, and who knows what that means. Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, you know, and I, and I have no in, inside information, but, you know, that, that one Russian ship that was just uh, sunk, the Moskva, I might be pronouncing it wrong, um, you know, it was a, uh, yeah. I think it was a Neptune missile, which is kind of like uh, yeah, basically a, a knockoff yeah. of, the, of the harpoon. You know, in in my mind, the the Taiwanese, you know, line up about ten thousand of those boogers right now. You know, um, to say, look, you know, if anybody gets close, you know, but uh, that's but you know that takes money and that takes determination. And and I I have no doubt in my mind that there aren't uh, uh, CCP way up in the Taiwanese government and spies everywhere. So you know, I'm sure that they're very very infiltrated there. But I'm. I, I'm just curious if, you know, if the money doesn't work in certain island nations like yours, um, you know, what kind of strong arm tactics they can use. Because, you know, the, the Japanese, you know, as you mentioned before in the 1930s, they just they just took stuff, you know. And so I just wonder what the, uh, you know, but I think the Australians are, are have wised up a bit. Um, I, I don't have a lot of faith in, in the Biden administration. But but somebody somewhere, you know, and, I'm, and you mentioned them earlier, I hope the Indians are starting to get it. They don't seem very, you know, like they want to do a big confrontation. I think their 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 involvement or, or lack of even anything to say pretty much about what's going on in Ukraine is a little bit interesting to me, too. So I'm not sure about the Indian government, but they they would be very helpful in in as a, I mean, just the, the sheer amount of people that they have and the potential for, for just business, you know, I mean, they, they could very easily, many of the things that are made in China could easily be, become made in, in India. They, they could take over a bunch of the operations that China's doing. The, the one question I have is, and you, you alluded to this earlier, that, you know, NATO involved, I mean, NATO's 30 countries, so you have all, all of Europe and stuff, you know, they've decided that they're going to you know, uh, of course, make, uh, you know, Putin and Russia, the, the pariah, whether or not it's sanctions or whatever. And, and that's fine. What would happen to China if, say, they, you know, because you had, you had Germany, you know, who was basically, no, nope, we're going to buy a lot of Russian natural gas. We're still going to do all these things. And then, boy, all of a sudden, Germany flipped a switch. What if a big portion of the world flipped a switch against China? You know, what if countries that you didn't really think would be, you know, Brazil or somebody else? I mean, I know they're buying people off all over the world. I know that they've got, boy, they're in every country that you could think of. 
uh, China is. I mean, do you ever see anything like that happening where all of a sudden, you know, I mean, nobody really cared much about the, about the Jews against the Nazis. Do we all of a sudden care about the Uyghurs? Do we care about what China's doing? Do we care about their human human rights violations? If they maybe there's a video of them taking an island nation like yours or something, and maybe it hits a spark or something. I mean, do you see anything like that potentially even? Or are they just too fortified with their Belt and Road? Are they just too fortified by buying off these these leaders in these countries? Look, I, I think what you're talking about is, is is the direction we need to take. We need to cut off markets and cut off commodities. So China may be the factory of the world, but they're not going to make stuff if they can't get the commodities and they're not going to be able to sell stuff if people aren't buying it. Okay. The, the difference though, is that we need, that is the West. It's not just us. Keep in mind that when we fought Japan, Mr. Yamamoto, who was their military leader, who was the, the guy behind Pearl Harbor said, look, I went to Harvard for two years. I'm telling you guys, we can't beat the United States unless we hit them in the face and they fall down and they don't want to get back up. If they get back up, we're in trouble. Our, our economy was 10 times larger than theirs. You don't have that same thing with China. We're, we're basically on equal footing. So, so if we can cut off their commodities and cut off their markets, we, we can succeed, but, and you brought this up, it gets back to our government and other governments like ours around the world holding hands and having a plan. And I just don't see it. I've talked to, look, I'm doing my best here in Bougainville to try and get people like the United States and Australia to see what's going on down here, okay? Because people are focused on other things whether it's a woke agenda at home or it's just something else in some other part of the world. But, but this is happening and it's just going to get worse. And right now, unfortunately, what you described as something we could do, which makes a lot of sense, isn't being done because we just don't have a plan. That's got to change. Well, yeah, in my mind, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the trinkets, the stuff that we get at the dollar store and stuff, there's no reason why that stuff can't be built in Vietnam or, you know, I mean, there's, there's plenty of, plenty of nine-year-olds. You're absolutely right. You're that, absolutely you know, right. That stuff's getting yeah. shifted over there right now anyway. You're absolutely right. And I, and you know, the thing is, is, you know, I don't know what the number, 1.4, 1.5 billion. I'm you know, I'm, you, you know, where China's at, I mean, yeah, they're, they're equal footing on us with, with GDP. I would I would argue that's true, um, but they've they've got a lot of population that they need. You know, they want their iPhones too, um, and they they don't want. I mean, you see what's happening in Shanghai right now, locking that place down. You know, millions, if not ten million people, um, locked down. I mean, it's difficult because they they track you in such a way. You know, they make it very difficult to have an uprising. We saw that going all the way back to Tiananmen Square. They want to make sure that kind of stuff doesn't every, you know, with Hong Kong, I, I thought the world would be up in arms about Hong Kong. And, and you know, and, and I, I, I'm in agreement with you that, I mean, if, if Hong Kong can go the way that it did, I mean, you know, I mean, what, what else? I mean, this, I mean, that's, that was a, you know, that's, that's a first world place. You know I mean? They had Hang Seng Index. I mean, Hong Kong goes back. I mean, it's, it's got a 200 year storied history and yet they just, 
they just take it and you don't get any more rights and they 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 disappear you if you if you don't don't if you speak negatively about them you're just you're gone you know and and uh it's so to me i'm i'm fearful that that this is uh, a freight train you know that, that can't be derailed but I, but i hope that that books like yours people read it um that they speak out uh, i have heard some good things out of australia but still there's a bunch of wafflers there the same way there is in my country we find out that you know senator feinstein had a chinese spy being her driver for 20 years the i mean you know you got hunter biden's son making deals you know it goes all the way up the chain in the united states and china china's very good at finding like you said the the weak links you know you mentioned sri lanka earlier i think sri lanka my understanding is that they've gone bankrupt now i mean they, they you know they destroy the, these places you know um that belt and road initiative yep. is is junk and you know, I don't know. I mean, it's it's going to take something, which is why I think that to fortify their situation, why Russia and them are trying to figure out a new a new currency. I think this is a very defensive tactic done by the Chinese to make sure that we can't just shut them down economically. And, and I think the window's closing. If, if people don't listen to, you know, to, to people like you in the know, um, I think we, we very well may be in, in a bunch of trouble. I'm afraid you're right. Yeah, I don't want to be. <laughs> I don't want to be. All right, I want I want people to be able to find your book. Um, I want them to be able to, to support you so you can continue your good work. Um, I want you to be able to, you know, I I, I appreciate so much because you, you you've lived there. Um, you're knowledgeable. I mean, you've met the man in charge. Um, you know, so I mean, me, I'm just I'm just a radio guy out in the Pacific Northwest with a big mouth, but um, the experts, you know, that's where it's like, look, you know, you're you're on, you're seeing it, you know, from the from the island across the way, you're seeing them do these things, um, and it's you know, here, like you said, we're we're busy talking about you know Disneyland and whether or not you know that they support you know woke things and stuff. When in reality, there's quite frankly a war going on. I mean, there might be well, there are some missiles being flown in Ukraine, but but I mean, there's a there's a war going on in the, in the South Pacific that is massive. And like I said before, that is the that is huge in terms of trade. So I want people to be able to read your book, um, be able to support you anyway. Uh, let us know how how they can find your book and uh, read more about you. Okay, well, thank you. The the name of the book again is They Call Me Ishmael. Uh, people can buy it on Amazon. It's published by Post Hill Press in New York. You can get it off of their website. Post Hill Press distributes their books via Scribner's, and uh, you can get it any uh, at any bookstore. You can order it at any bookstore as well. If people wanted to get a hold of me, uh, I'm at John D. Coons, uh, dot com, and uh, they can also. Email me at John Coons Author. That's K U H N S Author at Gmail dot com. Well, I want to appreciate you for your time and your, and your expertise. And I've been, you know, as we started off this segment, um, yeah, I've been very worried about China for a long time. And you saw, you know, uh, President Biden less than I don't know, was it maybe three years ago saying that we're just going to eat China's lunch and we have nothing to fear from them, that they're basically a bunch of nobodies. And I just, I shook my head because he's, he was of course, you know, campaigning against Forget Trump it. and Trump's like, look, we're about China and Biden's like, Oh no, these guys are great. Oh my goodness. <laughs> my goodness. So I hope people listen yeah. to you. So I just want to say thank you so much for joining the show. Um, again, uh, John D. Coons, author of They Call Me Ishmael.
Thanks again for joining the show. Thanks for having me. Anytime. Bye-bye. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. That's, I, uh, like I said, I, I, I love authors like that. They get on that they can educate us all. Um, you know, cause I mean, we can read the news and I, and I can opine about the news and I've been, I've been screaming on this show for, for 10 years about China and you can see what, what it is they're, they're really doing. You could just, if you looked at a map, you'd just be like astonished. But these, I mean, there are a million Uyghurs in Western China these are Muslims, and they've—they're totally, you know, basically enslaved. They're—they're they're, they're sterilizing their people. They take away their religion. They—they they do everything they can to hurt these people. And as I mentioned, you know, in the show, I mean, you know, we're not—I mean, there's a lot of revisionist history. A lot of people who who don't know anything. Oh, we we fought, we fought Germany because you know they were like killing these Jews. No, we didn't. That is absolutely not true. They didn't even report any of that stuff until about 1944. You know, we went to war with them in 41, and primarily because they were allied with the Japanese and they were sinking a bunch of our ships on the way to England. You know, and, and Germany declared war on us, so we had to declare war on them. And uh, we were, in fact, turning away Jews out of, out of New York. There's a lot of anti-Semitism going on in the United States, and that's really a non-issue until it, until it, it worked for people. And... Um, uh, to, to finally bring it out years later. And the New York Times knew a bunch about it, and they, and they held it down. And right now, the New York Times is not, not voicing what's going on with, with these Uyghur Muslims or, or a lot of the, uh, um, you know, just horrific things that are happening in China. Um, you know, and, and as, um, as Mr. Kuhn said, I mean, these guys are no joke. They're not messing around. This is in the DNA um, of Xi Jinping to um, accomplish his goals. Um, which are a lot of conquest, and it will only hurt us and particularly people that think like us that that have you know a, a mind for freedom you know as they've got their their um, social um, credit scores and stuff they want to track you on your phone and your your monetary movements and everything else um, there's a lot of resources that go through the through the South Pacific, but primarily it's it's just even being able to just travel through there um, of course there's oil and gas, a lot of fish. Um, and, and many of other, other, um, there's precious minerals, but, uh, yeah, they're, they're, they're taking it all. Um, so that's an excellent, uh, excellent interview. That's one thing I, I love about the show. Our, our, our great producer, Dave, he gets, uh, he gets me excellent, excellent guests. And, and now we've got another guest. I don't know if, uh, if she's available yet. Um, if she is, I'd like to have her join the show. Uh, Jenny Beth Martin, are you on the line? May not, may not have her yet. I'm a little bit early, and that's okay. So we'll have uh, we'll have our next guest on here in just a just a few minutes. Um, you know, uh, but uh, but back to back to a little bit about that last guest is you know, and sometimes we do that on the show too. I mean, of course, you got the news about <sighs> Governor DeSantis and in, in Florida. Um, you know, John Kasich is crying because he. Um, when he lost the election, this is, um, you know, former governor and presidential candidate, and he was crying. We cover those things, but, but, um, uh, Mr. Coons is right. We've got, you know, I mean, yeah, those things stink, of course. And, you know, we have to talk about them a little bit, but my goodness, you know, China, China, China. I mean, what, I mean, um, I'm just telling you any chance you get, if you're, if you're buying a shirt, you know, and one's made in Indonesia and one's made in, buy the Indonesian one, please. You know, by the one made in Vietnam. I know, I know it sounds ridiculous or mundane, um, 
do your do your darndest to to not give them um, any more money, um, please, because they're taking that money and they will hurt us um, every step of the way. And it's um, the only way to stop them because um, they're on equal footing, as he said, is to not give them money, not give them, don't buy their stuff and don't give them materials to build stuff. Um, they've got a big population that's going to struggle quite a bit when their economy takes a downturn. And, uh, you know, I don't know. Um, I, I, I think he's, he's voted himself in president for life. I don't know how long that is before somebody else at their, their version of the Politburo or whatever it is decides that, uh, he needs to go because, because China's going to be hitting the skids, but it would take, it would take a world effort to be able to do so. All right. So, um, um, hopefully, uh, being able to join the show. I'm looking for, uh, uh, Jenny Beth Martin. Are you on the line? I sure am. Oh, wonderful to hear you. Um, I want to int- introduce you. You're the honorary chairman of the uh, Tea Party Patriots Action. I, I want to thank you so much for, for uh, uh, joining the show. I'd like people to, to learn a little bit about you and, and kind of some of the stuff you've been working on. I've been an, a huge advocate of the Tea Party out here in Oregon. And, uh, you know, Jane teases me because I still have the keys to the uh, Oregon Tea Party bus. But, uh, um, you know, we worked real hard for the Tea Party. And, of course, we were lambasted over and over again and and we really were uh, mostly about taxes tax taxed enough already um out here in oregon we didn't get much involved in a lot of um a lot of issues other than just you know um government waste and misuse of our taxes and of course uh, constitutionalism and of course that means you're you're racist and you're you know homophobic and every i've been called every name in the book um, which was funny is because whenever I would be interviewed and they would tell us how racist we were, I w- all I would do is quote Martin Luther King and everything else about, uh, you know, and, and talk about freedom for, for our nation. But I'd like people to know a little bit about you and some of the stuff you're working on. And um, uh, and actually a, a big thing I'd like to talk about is some of these mask mandates and, and, and how that works out uh, uh, in Florida. Are, are you out of Florida? No, I am in Georgia. Um but I am moving to Florida fairly soon, but I'm in Georgia and I'm in a place in Georgia that um, school started back in August of 2020 and masks were optional and never were required. Okay. So um, yeah, I've had uh, somebody offered, uh, they wanted me to move to Florida. It seems like a lot of Patriots are moving to Florida. Yeah, um, they they are, and um, but I, I'm not sure if my my phone messed up or not. But I, what he was saying is, I'm in a place in Georgia where um, masks were never required in school. School started back in August of 2020, and um, when people in places where masks were never required watch how our COVID rates really didn't change compared to other places that had severe lockdowns. We, we see that um, the mask may not, may not have been as effective as we were first advised that it would be. And now we're two years into this virus, have much more data, many more studies, and we can tell that we need to end these mask mandates, especially when it comes to airplanes. Yeah, I, you know, I, I just spent a bunch of time, you know, going over a bunch of this, this data and I, I looked at it before, but I really went in depth on it. So I'm, I'm really glad to have you on because this is so important. Um, ironically, um, it was about a day and a half ago. I looked at, I don't know, at least a dozen 
um, data points that showed all of these different areas that had no mask mandates, like you said, were pretty much, you know, open season. And the the identical curves in terms of count, I mean, the, the graphs, I mean, they're virtually identical um, in terms of, you know, when the COVID numbers went up with a mask or without a mask, it, it was basically the same percentages that it that it that inherently it made virtually no difference. And the thing that troubles me is, is we keep getting lectured that we're going to follow the science and follow the science. Can I, I have not seen one peer reviewed scientific bit of evidence that shows, you know, I mean, there's a certain level of microns that this virus is, and even water vapor is, and these masks are not um, small enough to stop that movement. Um, As well, I just believe this is, this is pretty much endemic that that if you, it's kind of like any virus, you know, you're just, you know, if I didn't get it today, I'm going to get it, you know, get it next week or the next week or then, I mean, eventually you're going to come across it. Um, and, but, uh, but yeah, these mask mandates on, on an airplane that's got, that's HEPA filtered, you know, um, talk a little bit more about that. Um, and just, you know, thank goodness for, for Governor DeSantis there in Florida. Um, what's, what's kind of the word in, in Georgia, you guys are real close, is there a lot of, um, you know, like, like opinion with those people of Florida? Oh, absolutely. There, there is a, a, a lot of it. Our governor in Georgia, um, he is the first governor who reopened a state um, after, after the lockdowns began. And he never really closed things the way that most other, um, most other, governors and governments did. So we we were uh, locked down and closed maybe for about five and a half weeks, maybe even more like four and a half weeks. And then he, he reopened. He reopened in mid-April of 2020. So we um, were very much like Florida in that regard. I think Florida has done some things that are, are even better. But when it comes to masks, especially on on airplanes, what you were just saying is so very important. The um, the science shows that the mat that the virus itself is much much smaller than the hole on um, a mask, than the little tiny tiny holes on masks. Whether it is an N95 or a paper mask or a cloth mask, any of them, the virus is much, much smaller than that. So expecting the the mask to prevent the spread of a virus is like putting up a chain link fence and expecting that you can keep mosquitoes out of your yard. You just, you cannot do it with a mask. And um, I think that one of the, the most amazing things that we've seen this week is from the judge who got rid of the mask mandate on airplanes and in public transportation. Um, and uh, her ruling was amazing. But what I think is so so interesting about this is as soon as it was announced on airplanes, as soon as uh, people realized they did not have to take to wear the mask anymore, they immediately took them off and they they were cheering. Everybody knows at this point, the masks are not making a difference on the spread of the virus. We all get it's theater. The people on those planes who were cheering get that it's theater and it's time to end the theater. It's about politics and it's about control. It's not about stopping the spread of a virus and it's not about science. 
Yeah, it just seems like they've, I mean, triple down long enough that somehow we're going to believe it, you know, um, that, I, I mean, it's, it's, I, I mean, at some point the, the gig is up, you know, and other nations are getting rid of the masks. Um, you know, you would think that if there was a study, they would say, oh my goodness, you know, out of Brazil or Peru or Australia did three studies and they've proven this or that, but, but no, we get none of that. You know, we just get, no, you need to do this because, um, well, we think it's a good idea because I mean, it's, you know, if you stand on your left foot on a Tuesday, you get a better rain cloud than on a Wednesday. So it's, a, I mean, it's, it's hocus pocus. Like you said, it's theater. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a good luck charm, you know, and, and especially when they're doing this to children, um, you know, in, in my work, you know, I, I do some different physical labor and stuff like that. And occasionally I start to grow a beard. I, I can't wear this mask in the, in the heat while I'm working with a, with a beard. I mean, let alone try to, try to, try to make a three-year-old, you know, carry this mask. And then, and then you hear horrific stories, you know, on aircraft where they're kicking people off because they can't seemingly make a three-year-old wear this, this mask that, that's doing no good in, in an environment where the, the filtration systems on that aircraft, they're fully circulating the air every two minutes. It's one of the best places for air. You know, I mean, our freedoms yes. are absolutely being eroded for, for no particular reason other than, like you said, control and, and, and power. Um, that is that is exactly right. And I think that was one of the most amazing things about the judge's ruling this week. She um, she highlighted that the CDC did not have the authority to do this and that they really did not have the authority to quarantine people and never release them, especially when the people were shown not to even have COVID, not to even have the virus they were supposedly trying trying to help prevent the spread of. And um, that, that was contrary to the, the law. So that, I think, very much plays into what you just described about three-year-olds. So three, we know that this virus does not affect children unless the children have severe, severe pre-existing conditions. Otherwise, it, children get this virus and they get over it very, very quickly. And they help um, act as a break on the spread of the transmission of the virus because their bodies fight it off so quickly that it, it slows the, the transmission down to other people. So the children being punished in such a way and the parents of those children being punished in such a way is, is simply um, wrong. And I think that that's one of the things that the judge was really pointing out. And I'm glad that, that she did that. And I know that the Biden administration is going to challenge this ruling, and they say that they are doing it to protect the, the ability of the CDC to rule in the future. Well, I thought that this was always about science. So if it's about science, we know right now that we do not need the mandate any longer because um, science shows that it does not work. But if they want to go ahead and challenge it, I just hope that our Supreme Court pays attention to what this judge wrote this week, because she paid attention to the law, she paid attention to the Constitution, and that is what our Supreme Court needs to do instead of acting out of fear. Yeah, I, I, I agree with the judge that, that there's, no, there's no provision in law that, that, that gives the CDC the right to be above the law, um, to be above the fray, and, and to act 
uh, unilaterally like they are, um, especially when there isn't good science. I mean, I, I could I could imagine that, um, you know, just, just to just to be almost silly tongue in cheek, you know, some some asteroid from the from outer space lands. And all of a sudden, you know, we have some crazy virus around the planet that's that's, that's killing people in amazing amounts that the that the government may have to get involved or something. OK, great. That's a that's a good sci fi movie. That's not what happened here. That isn't that isn't at all what COVID was. That wasn't the, the ramifications. And we were we had people standing outside their houses with Lysol cans, and we did all kinds of crazy things, only to find out most of it was hocus pocus bunk stuff, and wasn't even science. Right, and the the fact is, if what you just described in that scenario um, actually happened, you wouldn't need the government to tell us not to go outside. You wouldn't need the government to tell us to look out for our own safety. If we saw our neighbors dropping dead on the street next to us, we would quickly act out of self-preservation to take care of ourselves. So um, even then, we as individuals would make the right decision for ourselves because, because we have an instinct to survive. You know, you're you're exactly right. When when given, you know, I mean, you know, freedom, you know, and this is the thing that, that that is it's so bothersome to me because they've torqued this thing into elections. This is why they had to have all these um, mail-in elections. Um, we've had so many things done in this country. Now we find out that COVID money is being vastly misspent and is now, you know, sending off to your your latest and greatest woke situation. Um, you know, and, and it's it's. This thing, it's it's criminal. It, it's it's criminal to do this to three year olds. It's criminal. I get allowed. I'm according to my constitution. I should be allowed to travel. They're keeping you off of planes or trains or buses. You know they won't let you. You. I mean, it's one thing if this was a government plane, but it's not. These are private, and they they strong arm these private companies because they're going to find them. Um, shows like this. You know, if 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 it was two years ago and you and I had this conversation, we'd be, we'd be removed. We we be completely. They, they they cut this show out. You're not allowed to say that the masks aren't scientific. You know, um, the list goes on and on. You know, and um, this um, I I believe at some point they just there's going to be smart people, you know, around the world. And I don't care if it's epidemiologists from, from Japan or, or somewhere else that's going to say, Hey, look, you know, you do, you do know you guys were like really, really dumb, right? <laughs> you, you did this all wrong. And, and you actually were hurting children as we now find suicide rates. And well, there's other health issues. I mean, I, I personally, I mean, all kinds of things you couldn't, you couldn't get into a dentist. You can't get your, you know, you know, women didn't get breast exams. Um, my my mother, um, you know, uh, she passed away near Christmas time. She had brain cancer. We never knew it. We didn't get into the doctors and stuff because they were only seeing people because of COVID. Nobody was opening up the doctors for anything. If it was, and then if you did go see the doctor for COVID, it wasn't like they gave you therapeutics. I mean, okay, great. So have you had three booster shots yet? Well, 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 no, but but can I get something to help me with my symptoms? Well, no, you know, and it's like um, this was done all wrong. And you know what I like what you just said is 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 in that sci-fi scenario, 
you know, that the people are smart enough to know what to do when we're sick. Okay. We know to stay home. We know I got to get better. I mean, you know, if, if this is highly communicable, we, nobody wants to go out and hurt people. I mean, and maybe there is that person that would, they would do that. And, and unfortunately, you know, we've all gotten chicken pox and everything else, but this world is not new to viruses. We've had them, you know, we've had the plague and things and these things, you know, they, they come and go and, and sometimes they're really bad, but we get the flu all the time. Um, it's just the way that the government has turned this into a way to to deal with elections or power or control big companies or our taxes or our money. Um, I know I just threw a lot out there. Go ahead and feel free to comment because I mean I feel like we could, we could go on and on. And I, and I would like to talk to you some more about this. Let me know if I hit any hot buttons with uh, with everything I just tossed out there. Well, I think that you you absolutely um, have hit hot buttons on it. Um, what you said about your your mother, I just I'm 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 sorry to hear about her death, and you have my condolences. And it maddens me and it angers me when I hear that um, yet another um, instance where somebody did not get the treatment that they needed to get in the height of all of this craziness with COVID because the medical community was misguided and um, did not make the right right decisions at the very beginning of the of the um the lockdowns i helped maybe not right at the very beginning but within within the first six to eight weeks or so i helped doctors and over 800 doctors signed a letter to president trump saying that these side effects were of the virus were going to be um i'm sorry of the lockdowns were going to be more troublesome and more problematic than than the virus that the cure was going to be more harmful than the virus itself and as i read accounts from these doctors who were signing the letter to President Trump, one told me that a man who was in his 40s had two young children. He cut his hand on a can. He cut his hand on a can and he did not go to the hospital because we were all told if you don't have COVID, don't go to the hospital. We're locking everything down to protect the hospitals. He couldn't get into his doctor because his doctor's office was closed. Eventually, his hand became so infected that he went to the emergency room, was admitted into the ICU, and died within 24 hours of going to the hospital because of the infection on his hand related to a cut from a can. That should never have happened in America. That's what the doctor said. This should never have happened in America. And um, we... We, I, I hope that as history looks back on this time, we're able to, to write suggestions for how future generations need, need to handle viruses. And you do need to look out for public health. Absolutely. Of course you do. And you also have to remember that part of public health is ensuring that uh, normal medical care and standard medical care is able to be maintained so you don't create new crises. And um, the, the account of what happened to your mother, the one of the man with his hand, are just two of many that I've heard over the last two years. And it, it breaks my heart that this has happened. But there are doctors who are standing up and fighting against this. And I'm, I'm proud to know them and to be able to stand shoulder to shoulder to help, help many of those doctors. Yeah, it was very frustrating to me. I mean, I, you know, a lot of people, you know, say you're a denier. I'm not a denier. COVID is very real and, and people have died. 
However, they now are revisioning the numbers of the amount of people that actually had, as you said, you know, comorbidities. Um, how many people died who had no no illnesses, no no prior conditions or anything else? And and that number is, uh, you know, it may be one twentieth, you know, it may be one fifteenth, right in that area of the 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 numbers. They're they're revising many of these numbers because people were were having issues otherwise. So, um, you know, when I'm not on the radio, I, I do some capitalism, and I've I've been in the grocery industry for for a very long time. And when this whole thing began, I mean. Uh, I, I've been in and around uh, not just thousands, but maybe tens of thousands of people in, in multiple different places in the Pacific Northwest when we didn't have masks, we didn't have gloves, we, you know, this, this thing was so in the hospitals, they had a lot of this, you know, they were they were keeping all of the um, the PPE and we didn't, you know, the people didn't have much of these things. So we didn't know. You know, you know, we were told by Dr. Fauci that we don't wear masks. Okay, you know, and then, of course, we later were were told again to do something completely different. And you and I just discussed the ineffectiveness of masks. But we don't know anything other than we're trying to listen to the experts. All I do know is, is I was in many of these grocery stores and we kept the tuna fish full and the milk and the eggs full and the bread full. And there were there were plenty of people. They they bought up those stores. I'm telling you, they were empty. These stores were absolutely empty and they were full. So, um now the hospitals, yeah, they get sick people, and so it's a different, different matrix. But you're telling me we had tens and tens and tens of thousands of people going through these stores, and of the many hundreds of employees that I know, I mean, I know of like ten that, that got COVID, you know, and were were actually pretty darn sick. Now I've heard of some of their relatives that had passed away. You know, they'll have a grandmother in Michigan that passed away or an uncle in Idaho that and so it did happen. I'm not I'm not saying that it's not real. All I'm saying is amongst hundreds and hundreds of workers that were amongst tens and tens of thousands of customers, nobody wearing PPE. I know of very few instances where this actually turned out to be a thing. But the and it was I mean, I'm not saying that they that people didn't have covid and I'm not saying that people didn't get covid. What I'm saying is, is it was important to have milk and eggs and tuna fish and bread and had those stores just absolutely closed and said, forget it. We don't have food anymore. Like Shanghai, millions of people locked down in Shanghai. What would have been the ramifications? They had to stay open. They had to, you know, baby formula had to keep flowing, you know, and you just you take the risk. And many of those people, they, they didn't, you know, have like first responders in hospitals, but, you know, these were heroes. The trucks kept moving and these people kept working hard to make sure that, you know, you know that the shelves were as full as possible. Um, and a lot of that's overlooked. But, you know, I just saw firsthand that, you know, yeah, this is a really, really bad, you know, you know, flu that was that was hurting people that were mostly already sick and we need to do our due diligence. But um, like you said, the, the letter to Donald Trump, you know, these lockdowns can be can be worse. You can actually cause more more harm. You know, it's like th- throwing the baby out with the bathwater. That is exactly right. And um, you're right. We had to be able to keep the, the country operating because you do need food in order to live. And um, it it is as essential to have that as it is many of the other things that the CDC said we, we needed, needed to do. Um, I, I, 
And I, I, I know that COVID is a serious virus. I never downplay the seriousness of the virus. And every single time I've ever heard anyone tell me that they have COVID, the first thing I do is uh, tell them to reach out to doctors and make sure that they are getting treatment. And I, I give um, recommendations for doctors because I know it can be very, very serious. So I don't downplay that. I just think that there are a lot of there are a lot of serious illnesses in in the world, and we've learned how to manage um, living and how to balance living life with the seriousness of illness and viruses. And we've had to learn how to do that with COVID as well. Well, you know, because we had that H1N1 and H1N2, and we've had bird flus and stuff like this, you know, this one, you know, is, is hurting older people. But the virus that was around when Obama first came into office, that was killing children at a very, very large rate. They didn't lock down schools. You know, they, 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 they downplayed it with the Obama administration when that was hurting children back then. T- ten, I, I don't know what the number is, maybe 10,000, I think, you know, I might be, you know, fact checked a little bit, but it was a lot of children died from influenza, um, a very, very serious one. Um, these things are horrible and they're horrific and we need to do our best job we can to, to, you know, you know, but I, I just don't think we stop the world. We don't stop elections. We don't, you know, I just, I, I think we need to keep on moving the best we can. Um, and these things sort of play themselves out. Um, you know, one last, last point I want to make, and then I'd like you to, to kind of, um, you know, uh, help me out a little bit there and, and, and finish off the segment is that, you know, you, you look at countries like Africa where they don't have very much PPE or countries, I'm sorry, continent rather. Um, there's many countries in Africa, but I mean, they're not real good with clean water. Not everybody's got hand sanitizer and masks and there's plenty, huge population density where they don't have social distancing. Education is really low um, or they just don't really care about a lot of, in some of these places, um, you know, you're, you're struggling for food. You're not really worried about social distancing. Um, and they never saw crazy spikes in COVID that were found many places in the West. And you would think that it would have just run rampant through those populations. And they, they didn't see that they didn't have masks on, but they, I mean, they had it, there was some COVID, but they also, many of them, you know, aren't 80 years old and many of them are, are thinner. They're not, you know, they're not, you know, extra heavy with diabetes and things like this because they don't have a lot of food. Um, but the point is, is that, you know, we see this around the world. And like, like you mentioned earlier, we, we just need to be smarter about viruses. We've been, we've since, since the dawn of man, we've been dealing with viruses. You would think we'd have it mostly figured out. And uh, I'd like to give you the last word on all of that. And, and also um, let our, let our listeners know how, how they can find some of the things you write about. If you've got a blog or Maybe if they can get some, sure. you said you had some recommendations to doctors and things like that. And if, if there's an email or some way they could get a hold of you and they, because I'm sure that they're going to have a lot of interest because um, that's, that's amazing to me and, and wonderful that you, you, you work with those doctors and you, you, that, that letter you sent off to Donald Trump. And I can see that you're, 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 you're very researched in this, in this area. I'd like people to know how to, how to get a hold of you and any, any last thing you might want to say to our, our listeners. Um, well, um, the, the thing that you were just mentioning about about um, the continent of Africa, you can look at the country of India and some South American countries as well. There are a couple of different things that are going on in those countries and what ha- has happened here in America. We had a perverse incentive for there to be more COVID cases because of the way that the government was paying hospitals 
for patients who came in who tested positive for COVID. So there was a perverse incentive to find COVID in order to have a different payment structure from, from the government. And also, um, in, in some of the other countries in the world, hydroxychloroquine and even ivermectin are available over the counter. And there's speculation and some research that has, has happened to indicate that, that um, those, those, um, the availability of those medications helped with uh, keeping the, case, the cases of COVID from becoming so severe. Um, so I, I think that as time goes on and the numbers get adjusted and corrected in our own government's database, we may see that it wasn't quite as bad as it seemed here in America, or maybe I, I don't think we'll see that it was worse than, than what the numbers have already indicated. But I think also as studies come out, even more studies about um, some of the other types of medications that can help treat the symptoms of COVID, which is what uh, doctors normally do. They treat symptoms with medication. That's how they're able to control um, AIDS and prevent AIDS from, from killing people the way that it did in the 80s. So I think we'll, we'll learn more about it as time goes on. As far as people getting in touch and, and staying up to date on what we do at Tea Party Patriots, they can go to teapartypatriots.org, teapartypatriots.org. And next week, I think that we'll be releasing, um, working with Global COVID Summit to release um, a press release about, about masks and a call to action um, about the appeal that the White House is has mentioned they're doing in the case regarding the mask mandate. So right now our call to action is on, on the border in Title 42, and we'll continue that. And then next week we'll have a focus also um, again on the mask mandates. Well, I just want to say thank you, thank you for all your hard work and your due diligence and, and staying after it. You know, I know it's been difficult to be part of the, you know, is, is the everybody from every single side has come after you if you're, if you're Tea Party affiliated. And I just think the Tea Party Patriots do such a great job. And, and thank you so much. It's been a, a Jenny Beth Martin joining the show. Thanks again for, for, um, for all that you do and, uh, and, and, and enlightening our, our listeners to, uh, to this mask mandates and, and so many other subjects. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Jenny. All right. Um, yeah, that was uh, that was Jenny Beth Martin, um, and uh, she's chairman of Tea Party Patriots. And uh, my goodness, what a what a great interview! Um, again, I want to thank uh, Dave for bringing us those great interviews. Um, wow. So uh, you know, these shows they go so fast. You know, I feel like I could just keep on trucking. That's why I love talking to Jane. Sometimes we keep going um, many times, and, and I'm sure D Dave rolls his eyes because uh, after the show we, we keep on trucking because. Uh, we just we don't just talk about these things. We live it, um, but uh, um, it's because we care about it. And and uh, just like we, earlier, we had uh, had Corey on. He, he's running for office. Um, even if you're not running for office, you know, speak up. Uh, make sure you vote. Uh, get a friend to register to vote. Uh, educate some people. Um, educate yourself. Constantly be doing the right things because um, I just can't emphasize enough how how important it is. Um, that we all stay active. And I just want to thank Jane Carroll for allowing me to, to do the show. Um, I always love it. And uh, thanks for, for, for bearing with me. It's been a little while since I've had a, a, been able to do the show, but I'm going to see you all again on the next Conservative Council. This has been Aaron Stevens doing the Jane Carroll Show. And good night, everybody.
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.